At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridesmaids were, who were already went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Matt. Good morning, everybody. You can be seated. All right, this is our text for today. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Um, yeah, if we haven't met, I'm Aaliyah. I'm one of the pastors here. And today, our text, we want to talk all about what it means not just to wait for Jesus, because we know he's coming back, but we want to talk about how to wait well. We are journeying towards that day, as Jesus calls it, and we want to do it well. So we moved um, from the Portland area to San Diego quite a few years ago, and when we did, our boys were little. They were four and five, and we would take a lot of road trips back to Oregon, see family and friends and stuff like that. They always, I'd say about every seven to 22 minutes, would say, how long until we get there? For 20 hours, so that was fun. Um, and what we would do is we'd say, okay, after a while, after we'd done this a few times, we said, all right, guys, we're going to give you five check-ins, and you can use those at any time, but once they run out, they're out, and you can't ask anymore. So they're like, okay, okay, it felt like a game to them. They liked it. And so after a while, um, our little guy, he'd go, hey, mom, how many chickens do I have? we go, chickens? What are you talking about? We don't have chickens. And he'd be like, you said you would give me chickens, and I, I don't know how many I have. Well, it took us so long to figure out that he misheard us, and he, he, we were saying check-ins. And so now that's what our family calls them. We say, okay, you've got five chickens. We still do it. <laughs> they have gotten a little bit older, and now they actually kind of, um, don't call me out, kids, if you're in the room, but they kind of enjoy these road trips. They read, and they hang out, and we have good conversation, and they've matured into being able to wait well on that journey because they're just older. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. How do we wait well? God actually has instructions for us for how he wants us to wait. So since September, you guys, we've been camped out on the concepts and complexities that come with understanding and ordering our lives around an ancient library of texts that we call the Bible. And we believe that this book is God-breathed. That was actually the name of our series for the last few months. We want to understand that this is a Holy Spirit-inspired book where God partnered with humans and even their personalities to communicate to us his heart. So, so God gave us this book, and the beautiful thing about it is that since it's alive, since it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it reads us as we read it. So we want to let it do that today. 
And as we do that, the Spirit transforms us while we walk with Jesus. So last week, we finished our series by walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and this is where Jesus shows us the kind of people that will usher in his kingdom. The mourner, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the merciful, and so on. This incredible list that doesn't look like success by our standards, and that wasn't different back then. People were hoping for Jesus to come and be a political leader who would take over and set everything right. And they weren't wrong for hoping for that. They weren't. That's what the Old Testament had promised all throughout. But what they missed was that Jesus would come, God would become a man to first be the sacrifice to make all things right. So this is our question. Keep, keep the, keep the um, Sermon on the Mountain view because it's going to help us illuminate a question that we should have as we work through the text today, which comes from Jesus' last teaching in the book of Matthew before he begins his journey to the cross. So this is kind of his last time with his disciples where he is giving them a teaching. So here's our question again, just in case you missed it. How do we wait well? That was for them, and it's been true for us for the last 2,000 years. So it's important for us today um, just to consider all of these things. And something I love, you guys, how, why are we in this text today? This is the 32nd week of ordinary time in the church calendar. Um, and it's right before we're leading up to Advent. And if you have a non-denominational background or you're not from a church background, you might not know what the church calendar is. And it's, it, it really is just a way of ordering uh, scripture. And churches all over the globe follow the same calendar and preach from the same text throughout the year. And here's what it's for. The purpose of the liturgical year calendar is not to mark the passage of time, like our calendars do, but to celebrate and understand more fully the entire mystery of Jesus Christ from the incarnation and birth until his ascension, the day of Pentecost and the expectation of his return in glory. So it's pretty awesome actually that Christians all over the world who are following the church calendar are connected by thinking through and being moved by the spirit through the same text. This is kind of a little glimpse of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So our goal, Park Hill and the church beyond, is to order our lives around understanding who Jesus is and to remember that it's him we're waiting for, and not just how to wait for him, but how to wait well for his return, which is what our text today is all about. So this is the parable of the 10 bridesmaids who are waiting for the bridegroom, which is, of course, a metaphor for us, the bride of Christ awaiting for Jesus' return. In this particular event, we find Jesus teaching his disciples and he's telling them about his return through a story. So scripture calls this a parable. And we see Jesus do this all throughout his ministry. There's so many times when Pharisees or just people who are trying to learn ask him a pointed question and he doesn't really give a straight answer. More often than not, he responds by quoting scripture or maybe hitting back with his own question or telling a story. And of course, there's a reason that he does this. So he, he wants to point towards what is beneath the surface. And so he answers in a creative and captivating way. And don't miss it. In these moments, we actually see the personality of God. And it's fun. 
So he's not worried about coming across as the smartest or most well-educated rabbi. He wants to engage people in a way um, that moves the listener from the logical contemplation side. What we're going for is like, hey, I need to actually have this make sense. And, and God cares about that. He has answers for us. But Jesus wants to challenge us and do something even greater. So often we set our expectations here. I just want to write answer. And God goes, totally. Also, I want to transform your heart. And so that's what he does. He creates space for the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. So this is a part of what the Holy Spirit does when we talk about scripture reading us. This is what it is. Parables are meant to read us. So there's different pieces of the parable, and depending on where I or where you are at, it's going to hit different parts that are sensitive in us, things that the Spirit wants to bring to the surface, where we need challenged or maybe rebuked or where we need encouragement. And that's the goal. So um, before we get into this parable today, I really think we absolutely have to pause and individually and corporately just ask the Spirit, will you speak through your word? So let's do it. Spirit, we acknowledge you. Will you speak through your word? We're so thankful for the teachings of Jesus that cause us to know who you are more deeply. Would we be formed by your word above anything else? Amen. So here we go. Parable of the ten bridesmaids. So what we want to focus on today is not when Jesus will come back, which this text has been used um, for in the past, but I think it's getting at something more important, which is how we wait. We've established that. So we have these ladies who are waiting, and we have five wise, they're waiting well, and then we have five foolish. They're also waiting, but they're not waiting well. They're unprepared. So throughout wisdom literature and scripture, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, um, you have lady wisdom and you have lady folly. And of course, this is not an actual person, um, but provides both a model and a caution for us. Because in each of us, God knows that we have our shadow side and we have the side of us that's made in his image. So he speaks to both of those things. So the wise woman builds her house, Proverbs 14 says, but with her own hands, the foolish woman tears hers down. Yikes. This verse actually goes through my head a lot uh, when my kids decide to make a blanket fort with all of our things before company comes over. Okay, build your house. Let's do this with kindness and love. In Proverbs 3, we find one of the many examples of lady wisdom, and here's what it has to say. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Okay, we've got a handle on wisdom. And now it says, all of the girls fell asleep. This is the next part of our parable. And this actually, and this narrative is not a point of shame. It's okay. Um, all it's trying to communicate is that the wait is longer than expected. And it's, it's something that's making them weary and tired. And it's part of the journey. 
So this part of the narrative actually echoes of the Sabbath rest we've been given to keep us tethered to God's goodness while we're waiting for the ultimate Sabbath that will come in the coming kingdom. There's no shame here. Um, So this might be the spot where we find ourselves. Jesus has already come. He's defeated sin and death at this point in 2023. Jesus has defeated sin and death, but it's not time for the coming kingdom yet. And this is hard, and this is exhausting a lot of the time. Just a quick look at even the news today should make, should make us yearn for the kingdom. It should make us yearn for Jesus' return. And two things happen when we take a look around at the complexity and evil of the world. We either want to be airlifted out, or we distract And we choose to live a life that says, I'm not going to look at those things, I'm not going to think about it, and I'm going to forget that I'm waiting. So rest wasn't the problem, but half were resting unprepared. And they woke up to the terrible reality that it was already too late. Now this is important. Oil was actually something that was easy to come by. This wasn't difficult to attain. This was something that they could get, and they should have had. They should have been prepared. So when they wake up, they're frantic, and they're asking the bridesmaids who were prepared, give us some of your oil. We're not ready. But the wise refuse to share. So the foolish head out, and they go buy some more. This is obviously something they can do. Um, They head down to their local apothecary or wherever. I'm not sure where you get oil back then, but they did it, Um, and they return, and the door was shut, and this is what the bridegroom says to them, truly I say to you, I do not know you. It's heavy. It's a bleak scene for them and an important warning. They were waiting. They thought they would be a part of this beautiful day, but they, then, then the bridegroom says, I don't know you. So something that's striking as we're reading this should be, why do you think that the wise bridesmaids would not give away their oil? We are supposed to be people who are generous, which raises more questions for us. What does the oil represent, and why is it not transferable? So until our final breath, God's grace and mercy are more than available to us. We know this. There's a lot of examples in scripture. Maybe the most well-known one is the thief on the cross next to Jesus. He's at the very end of his life. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So until our final breath, God's grace is sufficient. The oil in the lamp signifies the continuous work of the Holy Spirit. So we can direct others to Jesus. This is our call as Christians. This is our call to each other. We can pray. We can speak truth. We can strive all our lives to lead others to this oil. But accepting this work of the Holy Spirit has to be our own. There's responsibility here. So preparedness isn't something that can be borrowed. The unprepared bridesmaids disbelieved and disobeyed their Lord, and as a result, the bridegroom did not know them. So Jesus, he loves us where we are, but he loves us so much that he will not leave us as we are. So here it goes. How do we wait well? What is the answer? 
Jesus actually instructs in the next parable, and we're not going to read the whole thing, we're going to summarize, but the master gives his workers bags of gold, or as a lot of translations call them, talents, and some of the servants go out and they invest, and they have a great return. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy. Stewarded well, and there is so much joy and trust that happens. Another servant had a scarcity mindset, and when given the master's resources, he did nothing with them. He played it safe and was concerned most of all with his own protection. He was about his own comfort. And when the time came to give an account for how he stewarded the resources, he actually blamed the master. He said, I wasn't sure how you'd react. I was afraid, and so I didn't do anything. I just played it safe and kept what you gave me. And the response from the master is, you wicked and slothful servant. And the master took even the little bit that the lazy servant had, and he gave it to another who would steward it well. Someone who would be faithful. You guys, what we believe will look like what we do. It's really important to frame this correctly. I feel the weight of it as I was preparing for this sermon. I feel like this is a word for our church for today. But talking about what we do brings up a lot of questions. So our works do not save us. I want to make that really clear right now. Our works do not save us. We are to be secure in the gospel. This is the invitation. I love how Johann Gerhard frames the gospel, and it's this. He made through himself a full and perfect purification of our sins, and by one offering, He has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. By his blood, he cleanses us from our sins. Therefore, believe such plain, clear, and carefully expressed words of the Holy Spirit and firmly know that the suffering and death of Christ made a complete and sufficient satisfaction for your sins. There's so much comfort in the gospel knowing that it is all Jesus and we've accepted what he has done It's not about us. Then I want to move to scripture. Ephesians 2, this is what it says. And there's two parts to this, and these two parts are very important. So this first one has to come first. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hold on to that truth, and then we need to move forward, though. If we're going to be mature Christians who wait well, we have to also read verse 10 that says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, Salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And then flourishing is is what we are doing when we are created to do what God has made us for. He's gifted us for things. And I do feel just kind of like this motherly heart towards our church. There's there's so many times, and this is part of the Christian journey, where we are sitting in a space and we feel that God isn't speaking, or we feel dull. Um, And that can be a really disheartening place. But I'll say this, chase after God. 
He draws near to those who draw near to him. This is a moment for us where we get to say, we're not just waiting, we're not just um, falling asleep and not being prepared for the bridegroom. We are actually waiting faithfully and we are ready for him to show up and we are saying we want more of you. Sometimes I think as Christians where we get content because this is what the enemy wants for us, we get content to work in a deficit. We're bare minimum. We're going, ah, this sin in my life isn't too bad. It could be worse. Or, ah, I don't really read my Bible a lot. I don't know. It's kind of hard to understand. We get really content with the lowest possible, um, I don't know, faithfulness. And God has so much more. He gives these people, he gives these faithful servants, he's like, here's a lot, go do something with it and come back. I'm going to give you more. And it's just this never-ending father who is proud of his kids for doing good. And it's just going to increase and double. And this is a promise. This is not like, oh, I hope it works out. I hope God actually gives me more. I hope God um, increases my faith. This is a promise that we have all through Scripture. So our greatest desire and goal should be to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if you've ever written down a list of goals you have for yourself, but is that at the top? It's probably usually not at mine, (laughs) but that is it. And this is part of waiting well, so remember as you approach um, the Father, don't be the scared servant who makes false assumptions about what the master will think of you or how he will treat you. Rest in the security that comes with, I went out and I did good for you and I'm coming back confident and I know you're going to give me more. When you feed the poor or when you care for the orphan, like Ryan and Jen just talked about, I love that this is Orphan Sunday because you guys, this is our charge as the people of God. He wants us to do on his behalf. When you take time to be present to your family, when you love your kids well, when you sit with a friend and you hear them and you love them well and you experience communion like we're supposed to, when you pray, when you work at whatever vocation God's put in front of you, when you create, we have artists in the room who do it unto the Lord, When you take steps to kick addiction, even though it is not clean or perfect and there's going to be moments of failure, these are things that are investing and waiting well for the kingdom that's coming. So here's what James 2 has to say. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one, of them, if, uh, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith uh, by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. If demons have faith in God, there is a caution there for us. 
that what actually makes our faith alive is how we respond to what we believe. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. This is that promise. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Now, different parts of our teaching today will stick out to you depending on where you're at in your journey with Jesus. It might be conviction. It might be encouragement. I am doing well. I am waiting well. It might be God saying, hey, I've got more for you. And don't hear this as condemnation, please. This is Jesus saying, I am ready and I have more for you. What a gift. So James has harsh language, but we need it. There's so much promise. There's also a fruit fly right here. It just loves me. All right, we're back. But here's the joy, you guys. Christians in every single generation have hoped that their generation would be the one to see the return of King Jesus. Okay, since Jesus, we're over 2,000 years now. It's a lot of generations, and I checked with a guy, Matt, who knows about church history. (laughs) And he said, I'm right. Yes, every generation, that's a lot of generations, has thought and hoped that their generation would be the one where Jesus returns. So why, why do you think that might be? I think it's because we have justice baked into the fabric of who we are. That's how God made us. God made us in his image, and he is ultimately after justice. He has been ever since the first injustice in Genesis 3 when we were separated from him. So it's a natural thing for us to want to guess when Jesus will come back. It's right to look around at how messy and painful the world is and desire heaven. This is a holy desire that we need to have. So maybe you today just need to have a greater desire for heaven. So so a question has to be asked right here. How do you think that God brings justice and healing in our time? We're waiting. There's a question all the time. I hear it more than anything as a pastor. And it's, why does God allow suffering? Why did this thing happen in my life? And that is a fair question that should be wrestled with and handled with care. But you guys, God brings justice through us. He is partnered with us and he is waiting because he is gracious and kind and he has more to do. So that means that we are not done. And in both of these stories, this is what Jesus wants us to know. Take these things you've been given, no matter how great or small, and put them to work. So I've been chipping away um, at this project recently with some great people, and our only goal is to find stories of faithful people, um, well-known and less well-known, just heroes of the faith. And this is mostly uh, spiritual mothers throughout history who have faithfully pioneered whole movements, either through just raising their children, which is a huge charge, Um, or through 
whatever, so many different things. So I want to walk through this list really quick. And if you'll remember at the beginning, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus see, sees as success, what Jesus sees as ushering in the kingdom of heaven. So we have women who are imprisoned with Paul for the sake of the gospel, and many of them died for their faith. They died sharing the gospel. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we go all the way through history to women who lived just 100 years ago. People like Corrie Ten Boom. If you don't know about her, she um, ended up in a concentration camp for harboring and smuggling Jewish people out of Nazi Germany. And her writings from within the concentration camp will reframe your whole outlook on life. The Holy Spirit was so evident in her life. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We've got Phoebe Palmer, who is one of the founders alongside incredible men, um, who led the holiness movement. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So Phoebe Palmer's faithfulness led to the start of a lot of different things, organizations, people. Um, one of the most well-known ones is the founders of the Salvation Army, William and Catherine Booth who led revivals, and they fed and housed the poor, and they re even reformed laws to protect young girls from sex trafficking. They understood what it meant to mourn. They had incredibly difficult circumstances throughout their life. But instead of letting their pain become toxic, and instead of um, hoarding it for themselves, they actually took their grief and their difficult circumstances in lives and they let the spirit comfort the mourners through their understanding and through their ministry. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These people waited well. And these are just the few people who are well known. You could read a book about them. I could go on and on about people inside of this building and out who have waited and are waiting well. And as I'm working through the lives of these amazing people, I've been trying to find commonalities. You guys, I have good news. There's no secret sauce or special formula. All these people had vastly different backgrounds, um, social, financial, like countries, all different backgrounds. Um, but they have one thing in common. They were all simply willing to be set apart they chased after the things of God. In the mundane and in tragedy and in celebration, they loved his presence more than anything else, and it shaped all they did. So scripture, scripture is working from one framework, whole life transformation, new creations in Christ. And we're in a time when there are literally endless options for compromising or getting distracted. Endless. But listen, radical resistance happens through normal means that seem small. You'll hear us talk all the time about practices, prayer, Sabbath, reading scripture, generosity, fasting. Doing these things in community will start to take root and transform who we are, how we parent, how we love our friends, how we work. Our whole lives are supposed to be a living sacrifice. So we're in a time when God has joined us in the mess and promises not to leave nor forsake us, he's not done and neither are we.
I'm going to invite um, Isaac and Emily back up to lead us in worship as we close our time. If we look back right before this parable in chapter 24, we see Jesus reference his return. He calls it that day. That day is pointing us towards the kingdom of heaven, the one we are looking forward to and have been since the world entered the state of brokenness we read about in Genesis chapter 3. But we hold space and we partner with God to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven because we sit in this beautiful and painful space in, in between Jesus' death and the coming kingdom that's called the now and not yet. So know your end goal. Your end goal at the end of your life, hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, and then work backwards from that. What does faithfulness look like all the way to today? What does it look like to take one step towards faithfulness? So we've already been told how to begin. If you feel like you don't know where to start, we're going to do it in a minute. We come to the table every single week. We come around the body and the blood of Jesus because it actually starts with his work. So we remember Jesus and we find deep soul rest in who he is. And before we do that, we're going to take a moment to worship. And you can ask somebody next to you to pray for you. You can come up. We'll be on the sides to pray for you if you, if you want to do that. And the invitation right now, in this moment, while we're together, we are the bride of Christ together and we are waiting is to just experience union with the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's on offer to us. And remember our text from James 4. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. The Spirit goes where he's wanted. Do you want him? So be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let the Spirit do the work that he's promised. Maybe this is a moment when you need to replenish your oil. Maybe it's a moment you need encouragement or you don't even know what you need prayed for. That's all okay. Last service, I got to pray for someone who is waiting well She's in a season where she's given God um, a return on the investments she's made, and he's going, I got more for you. <laughs> what a gift. And then another person who's numb and just cannot hear God, who's ready to. And he says, you're invited. I'm here. I'm waiting. This is the promise that we have in Scripture. So, Father, would you be with us before we come to the table? Remind us of our identity in you. And we're asking you to show us. We know it's true. We believe in our heads. So would you help us to believe in our hearts that you have begun a good work in us and you will be faithful to complete it. Thank you that that's who you are.